guys, welcome to our MSPs in Conversation podcast, a podcast where you guys can listen to your peers as they talk about real life events and provide advice on how to run and grow your own MSP. In today's session, we have MSP coach James Davis of C-Level Operations, now Pax8, and our partners, Ryan Spillane of 360 Consulting and Matthew Smart of Gem Computers. They're gonna share some insights on how to build a great and successful MSP team. I'm gonna to start today with a little bit of a quote. And I don't normally do this in these, but I always like this one. Um, if you haven't read Jim Collins' book uh, from, what is it, From Good to Great? Um, if you get the right people on the bus, the right people in the right seats and the wrong people off the bus, then we'll figure out how to take it somewhere great. You know, at the end of the day, I've that always resonates with me. Having the right people on the bus and in the right seats is kind of like my little mantra for just, you know, gets me through all the HR difficulties and things like that. And it really does, it resonates with me. Um, and it's always kind of a bit of a saying internally, um, for us, when we talk about our team and I look back at how our team at Hosted Network has grown over the years and, you know, as people have come and gone uh, and how we've shifted people around, that's always resonated. So, you know, I just thought I wanted to start off with that today. Um, Hosted Network, if you don't know who we are, we were an MSP ourselves. We started as an MSP before we went entirely channel. Today, we are a uh, Australian wholesale cloud and telco provider purely for Australian MSPs. Uh, so we only deal with the channel, only deal with you guys uh, and with our range of services, um, which I won't go into each and every one, um, because you're not here to hear entirely about Hosted Network today. You're here to hear about how to build a great team. So with that, I'd like to get each of you to uh, introduce yourselves. So James, over to you. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me again. And Hello everyone, I'm um, James Davis, Managing Director of C-Level Operations down here in APAC. And for those that don't know who we are, um, we're a coaching firm that specialises in MSPs to help them mature their business operations and develop the develop their teams and leadership inside them. Um, so exciting to sh share and talk about building a team um, today. It's one of my favourite topics to talk about. Fantastic. Ryan, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Ryan Spillane, I'm the CEO of 360 Consulting. We were an MSP, a bit like uh, Ben, and uh, decided uh, a few years ago, and uh, some maybe in my other roles, that uh, yes, we've transitioned from an MSP in 360, and, and what I like to do is actually help a lot of other IT companies in merge and acquisition and uh, valuations, et cetera. So we've done a lot of M&A over the years and well-known for it. So that's kind of what we uh, focusing on and uh, this year starting to do full time. So it's uh, a You've got a few tricks enjoy. about uh, hiring and uh, building a team then, I hope. Yeah, over, over plenty of years. <laughs> Good to hear. And Matt. Uh, hi, guys. I'm uh, Matt from GEM. We're a MSP, um, about 54 staff as of uh, earlier this week. Um, and, you know, I guess just constantly working on growing, things like that. Uh, met both Ryan and, and James before, and uh, certainly leveraged some of uh, Ryan's experience in uh, in learning uh, the best ways to kind of move forward. Fantastic! All right, well, uh, I will stop sharing now, and let's get into it. So let me get my. All right, so today, guys, I wanted to start with um, right at the beginning, right of sort of the the, the growing a team. Keep in mind. 
you know, we've got partners on here, MSPs on here of all shapes and sizes. So we're going to have some one-man bands. We've got some guys that are much more established. So hopefully, you know, everyone has, you know, a little bit of information or a light bulb moment um, for everyone there. Um, guys on the call, though, if you do have any questions for the panel, please drop them in. This will be recorded so you can send it around afterwards as well um, or, or revisit it if that's what you want to do. Uh, and we will send that around afterwards um, in the next day or so. Um, but panelists. So where to start, right? Um, you know, it's, let's start right at the recruitment side of it. You know, you're looking for someone. What do you look for if you're going to actually hire someone? What is the key thing that you actually look for? Ryan, I'm going to throw that to you. Oh, thank you. Well, well on that note, Ben, your, uh, your nice title you. slide was uh, how, how, to, what is, how to build a perfect team. Let's how to build there. a great team. Oh, yeah, yeah, how to build a no, no, you, team. Your slide says how to build a perfect team. It, it did, team. it did. Sorry, mine says right. something different. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's be honest here. I don't think there's such a thing as an absolute perfect team. I think there's great teams. I think there's highly performing teams. But I don't know if perfect such a thing. Or it might be perfect for like a second or a minute or something like that. So I think that changes over time. So, yeah, let's. Uh, I think how to build great teams would be a great slide uh, slide title. Uh, how to build a perfect one? I think that's pretty darn difficult. Uh, but I think look, what are you looking for with the, with someone? Look, it depends on the role. Let's be honest about it. Whether it's technical, whether it's in sales and marketing, whether it's a, a management or exec level or team leader, etc. Obviously, you, you need to find the right skills for that role. But the biggest piece I would say is always hire on culture. Uh, you've got to find people that fit your culture. If you don't know what your culture is, you need to spend some time building what does your culture actually look like? How can you define it, which is never easy, but how can you actually define your culture, be it through values, be it through whatever, and all of the above, let's be honest about it. But yes, I think you need to spend time there. And then for us, through our recruitment process, like we hit 59 people in our previous MSP. Um, and I would say it's all about speaking to people about the culture, the values, make sure they're aligned to that, ask them which ones, uh, which of your values or whatnot actually re resounds well with them and uh, resonates best with them. And then just talk about those things. If they're not the right fit uh, during that whole uh, interview process or your onboarding process, then they're not going to be a good fit for your longer term, unfortunately. So I think culture is by far the biggest piece for us. Mm, it's a, a very good point. Uh, at Hosted Network, we, uh, we actually do a cultural round of dedicated to interviewing uh, where we actually get different team members from, you know, to basically sanity check it and they get the final say, even if, you know, I can't overrule it, they get the final say. And we found that's been a very successful thing for us uh, because it rules people in, you know, if as those of us that are doing interviewing, you can see someone and you might have, you know, external pressures, you've got projects coming up, you've got those sort of different things. So you've got these pressures. So sometimes you want to get a seat filled, but you, you, you shouldn't always do that for the sake of it. Getting the right fit is very important. Um, James, from your side, I mean, you, you, you talk a lot about uh, operational sides of it. How do you feel it from your side? I Starting point, I completely completely agree with Fuzz around that there's no perfect team and I think that's where we make the mistakes as well around we try and really define exactly that box of who we need to hire and we miss a lot of other opportunities there of creating diversity and getting people in there with different points of view and different skill sets um, and a lot of the time it's not deliberate that we're doing it that way it's just how, how we work how we do it because we just hire people that are aligned to us and we don't have a well-defined culture like I was just saying if you don't have a well-defined culture 
always start with self-awareness from an owner perspective because at the end of the day, small this, being small business, it all revolves around us, however we frame it up anyway. We're, we're the main leader, we're the main authority. This is how clients are buying from us. It will be a long time till we get out of that sort of position, no matter how we build it. It still revolves around us, so let's embrace it. And that's where the uniqueness starts. Everyone that's attending now, we're all different. We've, we've all got sort of same objectives, but we'd all go about it differently. We've got a different way of speaking, got different values that we, we um, value personally. That's where we, that's where we start. Like what, what sort of people do we want? What do we want to achieve for our clients and start, start building it out that way to have a deliberate culture? And like what Fuzz was saying, that that process of hiring becomes a lot easier at that point because we're looking for the right fit person and then we can build, like we're building out the jobs and the specificity in tandem with that where we tend to start with this is the job role, we need that 100% exact fit for it to work and it, it just doesn't line up. And I, and I think for a lot of us is we don't really go and get the help to do this either, um, especially in the smaller side of things like Fuzz was talking about building up to 59 and, and Matt's built his team up to like 54. When you're that size, you've done a lot more recruitment over time and you learn the mistakes. So I've, I've learned plenty, a lot of, plenty of them. <laughs> and for us, for the smaller MSPs, you generally don't get the volume to learn the mistakes enough for it to be turned into a process and understand how to go through this recruitment. So my biggest piece of advice when we're starting and looking at recruitment is actually get a partnership with someone outside as a recruiter, more importantly, as a HR person to actually engage in a managed services type arrangement of helping develop the culture, helping to develop that sort of people management and leadership and all of that internally. And then they will be able to be more effective in recruiting. We typically use a recruiter as a project once off basis. And we all know in our managed services companies, how well does a once off project work with a random client that co contacts you out of the blue? It's always, always an absolute mess. It never works. We never get the results where we know if we've got an existing client that we work with and know, know them inside and out, we get great results for them. So that's how we should um, treat re recruitment. Interesting. Uh, I like that angle. We've got a, um, a comment from uh, Brendan in the chat. Um, does that work in today's world? Staff are hard to get at the moment. You know, it's a, it's an employee market, um, you know, and often time is of the essence. You know, we've got those projects. How do we get around those potential, you know, of prioritizing those aspects of it and not just um, hiring the, the first person that can fill the fill position? Matt, I'll throw that one to you. Yeah, look, it's it's hard because I 100% agree with that. It, it's hard finding staff at the moment. It has been for a couple of years, and I think you know we we're, we're going through that those same pain points at the moment. We're trying to to grow the team. There's demand for more people, but the right people aren't out there. So we will typically continue our recruitment process. We won't just hire the person that's you know the best of a bad bunch. Because as, as Ryan said, you know, if they don't fit the culture, um, you know, which is a, a 
key concern for us as well. If they're not going to fit the culture, they're not going to be long-term for us. Um, we don't want to just hire someone in, go through the training. The training costs us time and, and you know, I guess money to, to do that. There might not be a bill for it at the end of the day, but you go through all of that pain, customers start engaging with this person, they don't stay. It has, I guess, a, a flowback effect on that. So, We'll, we'll continue and, and I guess we've, we've got a really good culture. We've got a great team of people who will help pick up the slack while that position's outstanding. It's tough, but, you know, I guess everyone in the business seems to agree that culture is a very important part of, of who we are. Okay. Um, so Brennan just sort of uh, expanded on that there for his question. And I think that's, it, it's quite a good point that, um, in a re- recruitment process, you can't necessarily draw that out either in today's market. You know, I've, I mean, we've, we've re- recruited a few people recently and uh, one of them made the comment of that he'd, he'd done like eight different rounds of interviews. You know, um, I mean, process, I think, is an important part of that as well, right? Um, you know, what, what's, a, you know, in a, in a quick, quick answer, what's a, how many stages do you think is an acceptable it, you know, and James, you're very process driven in, in what you do as a business, right? What would you suggest in that sense? Depends. Is there a sweet answer, like a bang on point? I don't think there is. It really depends on what you're hiring and the job role. Um, and I, I know that's not what people want to hear. I agree in today's market, long drawn out processes aren't necessarily beneficial, but actually they can be if it's transparent. The main reason why employees don't, like potential employees don't stuff around and wait for to go through the process is it's not laid out in front of them. They don't know what is the whole process to go through so that they can appreciate what am I getting myself into. If, if you lay that out in front of them in the first place and they see that transparency and they see the opportunity of them getting to see if they're a fit for the company and if you're a fit for them as well, Actually, it's the reverse effect because you're showing your maturity and your transparency in how you're working with someone to get the right fit. And that's one of the most important things of what um, the general younger people are actually looking for. They want to be working somewhere for a cultural fit. They're not just looking for a job for a job's sake where I probably in the last generation, I'm that, that, you know, on the older side of the millennial where I'm a bit old school, but in general, most millennials and Gen Zs are actually looking for that cultural alignment and being able to see there's a path. And if you've got that well thought out recruitment process, you already set yourself apart compared to most people that are complete shambles and non-transparent. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd counter it and go, actually, it's a unique, a unique thing that you can leverage as a huge opportunity. I like that. I think that uh, in today's market, um, you know, employees do have choice you know uh, there's a lot of positions available and you know i mean i i, I dare say that most people on this call will be recruiting at the moment and trying to find people and have been for some time um and it is you know i, I see regularly on my linkedin post partners and it's just you know around and around and around and it's a it's you know even even people swapping between partners right and that's it, I, it in australia is a very small world we've all had an account manager that has been to you know multiple different vendors that we've dealt with and they just bounce around it's and that's the world that we live in in a way um so 
the thing that I do see the most in terms of recruitment is around tech, right? It's finding, you know, junior uh, questions, uh, those sort of things. So, um, well, junior level one, level two, you know, your day-to-day desktop support sort of. Um, where do you, where should you know, the guys on the calls look for those? I mean, James, you said to recruiters, Matt, where do you look for, for staff? Is it just recruiters? So we, we, we do a mix and I guess part of it depends on, on the role, the timing, um, you know, there's, there's a lot. I mean, we previously we used recruiters all the time for all of the roles. Um, and, you know, with, I guess, a gap in the market that seemed to come a couple of years ago uh, with the number of, you know, quality people out there. Uh, we also started, you know, advertising on Seek or using multiple recruiters to try and work out where the right place was because that one method didn't seem to be working. So maybe it was the recruiter, maybe it was, you know, just there's not the right people out there. So we started doing both. Um, I've recently just hired uh, a role in our business for HR. And the, the I guess where we're taking that is to do more of the uh, Seek style advertising and, go through the process of, you know, those initial stages of is this the right candidate, you know, have a conversation with them, see whether they progress through. And I guess effectively take that role of the recruiter. Uh, It's hard when you use recruiters in my mind because you can't see everyone and there might be someone that does fit, that doesn't meet that criteria that you gave your uh, recruiter. So it comes in the other way. You can see all of them, but that's then met with the, the time poor problem, you know. Uh, a good job will, you know, potentially get you 100, 200 people. That's a lot of time to go through those those resumes. So we've, we've, I guess, filled a role in our business to try and accommodate that. But we have seen success in the last, you know, year or so using both methods. So I don't think there's a right or a wrong way. It really depends what attracts the candidate, the right candidate, and whether they see the ad through a recruiter or they see it through Seek. What what jumped out at them? could be different in every scenario back in the day i used to hire a bunch of techs through whirlpool <laughs> back in the day it used to always it, they always worked out really well i think dylan our infrastructure manager actually came from whirlpool as well but uh, it, it's it changes you stop sorry i need to i don't think you stop recruiting good mature mm. msps doesn't matter the size to be clear this is not a big msp thing you don't stop recruiting. Uh, I think everyone would openly agree on this call that if they found a great engineer, you'll take them on regardless. You'll easily find the work. It's not a case of finding the work. It's always been the case of finding good staff. And I think uh, Matt's right in that I don't think there's any one way of doing it anymore. I think you need to be using recruiters. You need to be doing Seek. You need to be doing even a newspaper from time to time because you never know who's reading it. It's not, it's not something you do every single time, but... Likewise, that's right. And the recruiters have their place and I'm not anti-recruiters, to be clear. I've used plenty of them over the years, but I think they're, they're just another another way of doing it. It's um, I do like the seek method and, and any of the replacements and uh, of those from nowadays and there's new ones out there and whatnot, but it's, you do find those diamonds in the rough that way where a recruiter, if they don't fit in the box of what they think you're looking for, they won't ever show them to you or rarely will they ever show them to you because they don't want to waste their time and vice versa. But yeah, you find some really good diamonds in the rough through uh, 
through random conversations, through other people. Uh, I've had other IT companies refer their staff to us in that they've had a change of business or uh, had to, through COVID, had to downsize a little bit. And they actually said, are you looking for more staff? And we said, yes. And they actually referred good staff to us. They didn't give us the, the rubbish. They gave us good ones uh, because they had to contract a little bit. And then now they're looking for staff again. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just what happens. It's keeping your eye and your ear out in the, in the, uh, in the marketplace and, and look creatively. I think, I think it's worth noting as well that, you know, and, and using the various avenues, you might have a, a really good candidate you don't know yet um, that has, uh, I guess, experiences in the past with using recruiters. And I've heard a lot of, you know, recruit, uh, stories from candidates where they've been involved through a recruiter before and haven't found that process to be great or found it more difficult so I, I do know of people out there that um i've, I've met uh, some that i've hired who had a bad experience in the past with recruiter so just avoid responding to ads where a recruiters involved so if you're not if you're if you're all focused on recruiter there could be a, a bigger portion of people that you're just missing out on there's a very competitive talent pool in that sense right so you want to yeah. you want to have as many options as you can um, we've just had a comment from Steve that, uh, you know, planning at the right time of year can also be very, you know, um, good in terms of graduates and things like that. Um, I've personally found great success in, in those areas of or aligning myself to, um, you know, the local TAFEs, um, those sort of things. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I've, I've often, um, you know, tried to develop and maintain is a level one program to make sure that we've always got, like Ryan mentioned, that that constant, you know, not just recruitment, but that constant, you know, we're constantly developing more senior resources internally because I think we've all been in a position where we've hired a senior, you know, resource, especially from the enterprise space, and they don't get the MSP mindset, um, you know, whereas, you know, training up often yields better results. Um, with that in mind, you know, graduates and whatnot, um, use that as a bit of a transition, um, I always like to ask this question for techs, specifically for techs. Um, what do you care about from that education perspective? Does a university degree matter? I, I think it depends again. And I think where if we look at trainees and graduates and all that, that, that kind of thing, like we, everyone's mentioning, like it's hard to find quality, um, quality applicants. And I think, it's a, a burden that we've created ourselves in the industry. Um, and we'll talk a lot more about like retention and that kind of thing. But in general, probably about 2014, I noticed the great majority of the industry stopped accepting trainees. It was like we could only hire experienced people. And it's only started back up in the probably last two years that trainees are an option. So we've basically wiped out a generation. So when we're talking about getting, we can't find any experienced people. It's because us as an industry didn't develop them and didn't keep the people in, in the industry. So it's, it's really worth keeping that in mind. And I think a lot that are starting to buy into that as, a, as an option now and want, want to do it, they're not set up to train um, and develop those people. Um, not enough processes and not enough focus on what do we need to learn and what skills do we need to know like the whole com take a step back in just like tech roles. You just talk to everyone on this this call 
they'll have a different opinion what a level one, level two, level three tech actually is and what skill sets they should have. So we don't even have standards in the industry to base it off. So each business is hiring something different. And when we talk about it and compare salaries, it's different. And when employees are going to search on Seek or whatever, we don't know what the employees don't know what they're getting into either. So there's a lot of disjointedness and lack of clarity as an industry that we that we could get um, get better at. And I think having that framework to start with, with what are we trying to fill and what culture that we're aiming for, that's a lot easier to find the skills and what's right and then feed in that um, in that sort of training program from the graduates. If we don't have that, all we're going to do is hire one graduate and it's a sink or swim moment. They're either going to be super awesome and fantastic and do, or they're going to flounder either because they're not the right person or we haven't set them up for success. So it's very important to be mindful around that and how to, how to make that work properly. Um, and especially for the smaller MSPs, typically they're only going to hire one. All the good trainee programs that I see, even in smaller MSPs, is hiring more than one at one time because it's more efficient to train two or three people on the same things at a time with the potential that two, one or two out of that cohort is going to fail, but we get one good person in it. Um, so we have to think about that sort of recruitment at that level a lot differently as well. Just just to, to grow on that and, and on Steve's comments, I know, I know Jem, um, Steve has uh, a team that, that is, is basically, I guess, those, those trainees, those graduate style positions. And that's, I think, and Steph might correct me, but I think we've been running that for about four or five years. And, and you know, it's, it's basically people that want to get into IT. And we saw, um, and, and the idea actually came from another MSP, um, but looked at um, what the market was looking for. And it's like, oh, you know, we want junior people because we don't want, you know, we've got a smaller budget, but we want five years experience. And you can't have both. You know, it's like this Saturday's old story. I want someone young that's cheap, but I need 10 years experience. It doesn't, doesn't happen. So we, we developed, I guess, internally and, and took the part of the idea to, to build that up. And we've had a lot of success with a lot of people that have come in at that, uh, you know, that very junior level, not even level one, have been trained by us, learned our bad habits, which is sometimes better than someone else's bad habits. And, uh, you know, a number of them have, have actually progressed up and now sitting in level two within, you know, a year and a half, two years. So they're motivated. We've got, I guess, goalposts. They have to meet certain marks as, as they go through. They have to sit certain uh, uh, certifications, not university, but, you know, like vendor style certifications or CompTRA certifications before they can progress through. So, you know, from, from that, that initial start with us, the transparency is there. They can see what they need to do to continue to, to grow whilst at the same time we're giving them the experience that, you know, a lot of places back four years ago just weren't in a position to give. I think that's we an do. important we, point. We have our own cadet program. Yeah. Exactly they, that. So we have run a cadet program and every six months we'd hire a new one and 
Now, there was a two-year cadet program, and every six months we kept adding one. So it basically meant we had a continual flow. And look, uh, to be honest with you, it's not cheaper. Let's be honest about it. It's the amount of resources you need to put in to train them, level two, level three, mentoring, et cetera. It's nothing to do with the cheap because, yes, they might cost you a little bit less on, on your books, but in reality, the effort you go into them, they're actually quite expensive. But someone had two parts. We did it as no different than what Matt said. We get to train them our bad habits and don't have to break other people's bad habits um, uh, or the, the best way of doing it. Um, but on the other hand, though, we, someone's got to do it too. Someone actually has to give back in this industry. And it's all good and well saying that, uh, that we give back to the industry, but how many people actually do it? So for us, we did build our own cadet program. And yeah, we put a number of people, I think probably six or seven people in the end through the through the program. And they're now, well, most of them are still in the industry. So some started out as, like, again, for us, they had a passion about technology. They had no idea how, how help this worked, how what practice management software, any of those types of things. It's, yeah. But back to your original question, Ben, was does a, I think it was does a uni degree or any of those things matter? I don't think so. From what I've what I've seen, unless you're going for a business consultant or a, a BA type role or senior roles, where it, it helps a bit. But I would much rather see someone that's been passionate about technology, passionate about learning, and over three, four, five, or however many years they've actually continued their education. They've done Azure, they've done network skills, they've done this, they've done that, whatever it happens to be. They've actually engaged with with vendors or even just online training and have actually certified themselves over a period of time. That to me is, I think that's a lot better than someone that's done a uni degree who's been able to do it basically full-time for three years and then doesn't learn or doesn't train afterwards. I'd much rather have someone without the uni degree, maybe have someone with uh, someone that's on a TAFE diploma or whatnot, has a passion for technology and the industry and is willing to learn. They're going to soak things up. They're going to be a sponge. And they're going to, as we call it, for the first couple of weeks in, in what was Correct Solutions, it was like drinking from a fire hose. It's like you can learn as much as you want, as much as you can handle, and it can keep going. And that, for me, was always the better, uh, the better outcome. Yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed that part of um, the, you know, passing on my knowledge and watching people grow within the team as well. Um, I, I like your, the example of uh, being a sponge. And I often say to a few people, I'm like, just be a sponge, you know, absorb as much as you can, but it's okay because, you know, you're not going to absorb everything. You know, there's a point in every day. Um, but we've had a few questions here, uh, well, a, a comments around, you know, that people have had success uh, of graduates and the, uh, a few comments here. Where have you guys found your graduates? We've mentioned TAFE. But are there any, and we've mentioned trainee programs, but is there something that the, the guys on the call could potentially look at to actually kick off their own trainee program or something like that, that you guys have had success in or have you? Well, sometimes it's the, the neighbor's son. It could be uh, someone that's come and done uh, uh, work experience from school. Well, that, to be honest with you, is often a good way of getting them because they've come from school at a year 10 or 11 or 12 or whatnot, and they've come and done some uh uh, some work experience, find out whether they like it or not, and it's a good it's a good couple of weeks for you to see whether they're, whether they've got any passion or not. Yes, they're extremely green. God, we're at seventeen or fifteen or whatnot, so everyone's green. And it's just just the way it is. But yeah, look, I think um, any of those, if you openly talk that you have a cadet program or whatnot, you get so many people responding to it. It's um, people are looking for people to get back into this industry. 
Um, I can see there was another question there as well. What size did we do it? I think we would have been 40, 45. Um, but don't get me wrong, we were thinking about it for years before. Even at 2025, we were thinking about it. We just didn't didn't have the process down on how to do it. It wasn't it wasn't a size thing for us. I think you could do it at eight or ten people without a problem, to be clear. Even five, I think you could do it. The catch is it's just having some process around it. Be it, let's say, you, they have to go and do some TAFE certificates as well if they're coming in younger than that, get them to do that part-time as well as some uh, some work with you for three or four days a week or whatnot. The biggest thing is realistic expectations, I'd have to say. You can't expect these guys who are level zero. They're not even level one. Um, they're level zero to not mess things up, to, uh, to not... Uh, to, not make mistakes this is life and the biggest thing you've got to have as well as a culture that says for them to be able to make mistakes but also understand when they're out of depth or out of their out of their uh, like out of their comfort zone to take a breath stop and ask someone near them even a level one or a level two is hey what i'm doing is that okay is it going to cause a problem and having that culture where even level threes will talk to each other and bounce ideas off each other. Level threes will, and we had it, level threes would ask even a level one, hey, what do you think of this? And it's a training moment for them as well, but it's it makes them feel great that, hang on, an L3 is actually asking an L1 for a question. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, it's removed some of the ego here. It's not a problem doing that. So I wouldn't say it's a size thing. I think it's more a maturity piece um, of whether you're willing to uh, really invest the time. Because someone like that, if you invest a few years in, yes, they become L1 and then from L1 to L2. Uh, there's how many people in some of the businesses that have been around for quite some time have people that have worked with them for 10, 15, 20 years in the one the one place. They're the ones that have generally grown through the ranks over a long period of time. I completely agree with you, Fuzz. Like I've got in our, our coaching program, we've got some smaller lifestyle businesses that you know, 10 staff, they're successfully doing the training program with juniors. It really is just the maturity and a want to do it and, a, and having the processes in place. And it's very successful. Um, there's a lot of advantages for everyone. I think you know, taking a point that you made a bit before around trying to find people that has got a passion for technology. Um, what, I'm, what I'm seeing, being, you know, being fortunate enough to view a lot of MSPs across the industry is a lot of owners are struggling to look at the younger kids. There's like, you know, you mentioned like 15, 17, like even 20 year olds, for most owners now that's a 20, 30 year gap. And they think back to when they started in the industry and how they got their start and what qualities they have. That's not who's coming into the industry anymore at all. Um, we still get um, young kids that are, you know, still that nerdy, play around, create a gaming machine and and they're a potential fit because they're fiddlers and that's where, where I see most of the owners get excited of, oh, they do this stuff at home. But we're missing out on some opportunities. The industry has shifted a lot. Um, it's a lot more process-based. It's a lot more customer-focused. It's a lot more um, technology and productivity and how do we actually use the tools, not just fix the back end. A lot of actually the people that are looking to come into the industry at the moment are not from a technical background. They're looking at, well, I've got some customer service skills. Technology actually looks like a good stable career with long-term prospects. So we want to come in. It's not the best and brightest young kids that are coming in than it was like 20, 30 years ago when it was a cowboy industry. 
because all of those people are going to AI and all the more shiny technology um, parts of the industry. So we're getting more stable, process-driven and customer-friendly type people. And I see a lot of owners write those types of people off. So it's really worth understanding, like, what do we actually deliver? Going back to our culture, going back to what our clients are doing and what we're actually delivering. So we've got that frame of reference and, and looking to the future. They're not useful now. They're green. What are they going to provide in five years' time if I retain them and invest in them? Where are we going to be with that technology? We can mould and shape them so that we've got that experienced workforce in the changed changed environments. So there's long-term play there too. Okay. Well, I think that's a good transition period because this is a big topic. I've got to remember, we've only got an hour today and recruitment is a big piece of it. But um, please do ask questions, guys, if you do have them. But I'd like to shift a little bit. We've found this great you know, level one, level two, level three, whatever it might be, level zero, right? Um, how do we retain them in this competitive landscape, right? Because everyone is recruiting at the moment. And, uh, you know, we tie back to this, the, you know, this idea of culture of having a great, you know, company. It's not a ping pong table. It's not a, you know, I mean, I've seen, you know, and, and sure, maybe that was attractive once upon a time, but, you know, the world has changed, especially in the last two years. So I'd really be keen to hear from you guys. And this, this all kind of, so ties back into the recruitment piece of it, right? Culture is, you know, a lot of these, you know, since COVID people are, they can work from home now or they are moving further out. What are you guys doing as part of your businesses? And what do you see in the industry that is working to help businesses retain their staff? Matt, I'm going to throw this one to you. Yeah, look, it's it's an interesting interesting question. I think uh, as as a business, we look for the right culture in people, and uh, I think someone made this comment earlier. I think those people also look for the right culture fit for them. So it's it's you know looking for that win win um, situation. So um, you know we've we've had a few guys uh, you know in the last couple of weeks been uh, headhunted by another MSP out there. Um, and, you know, the offer on the table was was amazing. Like, you know, they've, they've been very open and honest with us. And I guess we, we try and, you know, replicate that. We're, we're open and honest with them. They're open and honest with us. You know, I've been, I've been approached, you know, this is what's on the table. And a lot of the time, uh, and in, oh, sorry, all of these cases of, of late, they've declined the offer and stayed with us. And I think part of that comes down to, you know, the people they work with, that culture, the, the, the business. I think as well, part of it comes down to uh, the, the level of tech they get to play with. So, you know, our customers are running some very complicated networks, enterprise-grade equipment. You know, that might be for the right person, you know, part of, of that. But I don't think there's any one thing that uh, makes it, someone want to stay long-term. And if we look back through through our business, we've, we've got guys that, you know, that are coming up 13, 15 years, things like that. And it's, it's a good majority of them. The ones that don't have that, that time with us are, are the ones that are coming in new, but they're staying with us. So that's a, that's a big testament to, uh, to your business. If you've had, you know, guys that stayed with you for 13 years, I think you must be doing some things uh, to help maintain that. Um, Ryan, in your business, you know, your, your previous businesses, what, what have you done? 
But culture is key. Uh, yep. Culture is critical. Uh, but I think it's, as, as Matt said, it's not just one thing anymore. Uh, yes, culture is a big piece of it. People need to be challenged. People need to be uh, have some flexibility. And now that's a flexibility used to be to be able to go to, to take the kids to school or go and do a school thing or uh, go to the doctors or get a haircut in the middle of the day. Those things were easy. Now flexibility has changed. Flexibility is working from home for a couple of days a week or all those types of things or even permanently working from home for if you're hiring staff in, in other states or in remote locations because that might be the only place you can get the staff. Um, they want to be like excited about the where the business is going for, through both transparency. Are you putting a good vision out? Are you explaining where the business is going? Are you explaining what how they can actually help? That's the biggest thing with a lot of pieces. Like anyone can go out and put a, a great strategy out, or hey, this is where we're going to take the company. But if people have no way of how they can help uh, bring the company forward or help get to that goal. There's a disconnect and it doesn't actually help. So you've got to make sure there's alignment and that each person knows how they can help the company re- like achieve what they what you want and where you're going. That that again builds on the culture. Mm. They want to play every now and again with some cool tech and some something interesting. They don't want to have customers that are like, yes, we are in an industry that can be a bit negative. Customers are only ringing us generally when they've got a problem. There's not that many customers that ring us and say, hey, the network's working great today, or hey, the computers. <laughs> working fantastic today i'm glad i didn't need to ring you but i did anyway like it's you, you do get the odd customer like that it's extremely rare but they they are out there from time to time but normally most people are ringing you on their they're having a really shit day excuse the french and i know this is getting recorded but something's just broken they've just lost a file they're, they're having an absolute crap day and sometimes they unfortunately take it out on our team and You've got to, if it's a continual thing, if there's customers that are just not a good fit for you, it's really powerful firing some of those customers as well and let the team know that they weren't treating you right and your team, the team members right and we're supporting our team. There's plenty of customers out there. There's not a problem in generally going and finding other ones unless you're extremely regional and uh, there's not many people in, in the town or companies in the town at all. But normally you can often find a replacement for that, uh, for that customer. So again, staff want to know that they're being looked after, that you're thinking about them, how they can help, play with staff, have a bit of flexibility. And I think all of those pieces do it. Uh, but don't get me wrong, you're not going to retain everyone. People need changes sometimes. And we're seeing it right now with the what the, in America, the great resignation. And even in Australia, it's happening. People are just moving to new roles at different companies, hoping or thinking that it's different. When in reality, it's not. They know it's not, but they just need a change. They've not yes, the grass greener on the other side of the fence. That's right. And as a, an interesting South African once said to me, the grass covers a lot of shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I've loved that ever since he told me that. And it's so true, though, because you, you don't know until you get across there. How many people have been on an overseas trip in the last couple of years? How many people have had a good break? They haven't. If at most they've staycated at home and really all they've been in ISO or something like that. They've not really had a break. So people are looking for something different and that might be it right now. People are just changing roles. And I know so many people that I've got uh, that have contacted me even last night. I've had someone message me at 10.30 last night. Um, he's only been in a new role for like five months. Doesn't have a big problem with the company. Pretty happy, but it's not what he was looking for. Um, so he's ready to jump again. It's like... You, if you just try, like if people are just moving elsewhere to try and find something, they generally won't find it. So mm. you've got to give them that base. Sometimes you've got to let them go out and have a bit of a chat. We've had 
someone that's just hitting 15 years with my old company. And he went and had interviewed three or four times and he came back, as Matt said, have a culture that people will come back and tell you where they're at and what they're doing and, and talk it through. That's what we did plenty of times with people and they realised it wasn't actually going to solve what the underlying issue was for them. So... Look, I'm, I'm going to, you know, say that we, we actually had a, a staff member rejoin us yesterday. Uh, I'm going to say Luke actually rejoined us at one point as well, you know. So, and I think that's, um, you know, life is a journey, right? Not, not just for ourselves, but for our teammates as well, right? our employees, um, our colleagues. And you don't know what they got, they've got going on in their own life. You don't know what other pressures they've got as well. Um, you know, Stephen's made a comment here that, uh, you know, some people will leave for money no matter what. And that's, that's just life. Um, you know, and I think that in that sense, well, maybe, you know, if, 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 you know, you're paying competitively and sometimes it is harder to pay extremely competitively, especially at the moment when you've got the big, you know, enterprises just upping and upping and upping what they pay because, you know, there's no IT staff in Australia sort of thing. It is difficult. Um, but I think the majority of people aren't money driven in that sense no. you know i think most, there's... most people won't change for five or ten grand no. yes if it's 30 50 or eighty thousand more it's year, harder to I, say no then which right? i have seen yeah. a lot of people will take that that's just that's just life some, but some things some you can't those... refuse and, right. i mean Steve, Stephen yeah. makes a good point if they're going to leave for five or ten grand then they're probably not the right culture fit for you anyway right. right person on the bus in the right seat i i'd agree with that if i uh, i think all, all the points are awesome and then I think you can distill it down to a couple of things. I think we often forget there's a lot of advantages to being in a small business and we keep, tr not that we effectively execute on it, but we keep trying to take lessons from corporate and try and stuff it into our small businesses and we fail. And, and HR and retainment, I think it's a really, there's a lot of good lessons that we can learn from corporate, like training, like let's actually provide our people training because if we're not, there's already a distinguishing feature. If I'm looking somewhere else and Fuzz tells me that he provides training and, and Matt doesn't really convince me that it provides it, well, I'm going to go to the one where it's training because at least I get something and I know I'm going to get something out of that. So a lot of what like we've got to remember is we're generally working with people that are 20 to 35 in the industry. That's the majority of the workforce. There's obviously some, still some older, older people around and they're usually the more settled. And you know, most of, most of them at this point are like managers or owners kind of level. Um, and we still got it. So, yeah, that's like one senior tech that's been around forever kind of thing. But we're talking about people that are in certain life stages and the taking money is, because of life circumstances a lot of the time. It's not actually driven by money. It's like the partner at home is saying, we need more money. There's, mm. there's the driver, the motivator. And I think more than anything is the connection. If we even at a 50 person business, like you know, Matt and Ryan, but you can still have a personal connection with all your employees of that size. Yep. And that's what most people want. If we've got a, if we've got a purpose, and uh, uh, what we're aiming for with the company, like, like Fuzz said, if we've got a plan for them and we work with them and then we actually take the time, whether it's an owner or managers and leaders, to provide consistent feedback and adjust the plans as we're going, people want to actually stay. 
the majority mm. of the time we give them reasons not to stay, whether we know it or not, and whether they are better off moving somewhere else or not. Like the, there's advantages in, in um, people going and coming back and, and learning different skills and growing. There's also a danger here. Um, you know, we, we pride ourselves on longevity of employees. That's great as long as those employees are actually training and staying relevant. My experience is the majority of people that have been in the industry that are our senior techs, you know, 10, 15 years, they're, they're becoming static. They're not training in these new things in general. Like you, you guys might be lucky and have have that culture that keeps promoting the, the, that training. But in general, in the wider industry, the experienced techs, their skill sets are becoming more and more limited. They're not really understanding the cloud. More scarily for me and what I'm seeing is they're very resistant to security. They don't, they don't understand best practices. They flat out refuse to implement some of the best practices when they're challenged because it's too hard to do our job now. Um, and they're the ones that the business owners that are becoming less tech savvy are relying on to make all these risks decisions about technical standards in their environments. Yeah. So on the flip side, like the, there's dangers for retention as well if we're not doing the right things. So training is super important. Connection and regular feedback and um, that relationship building is super important having an overall purpose. And that will drive most people. Most people are joining small business for all the things that Matt and Fuzz have said because they get to play with a lot more things. Go to go to Matt and um, Jem and get to play with these um, complex network and all this enterprise grade stuff. They they don't know what corporate looks like. They're young and unless you're transparent and have those conversations, like even these um, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollar increases, they don't understand what job they're actually work, walking into. And most of the time, I'm not seeing owners have the conversation transparently to lay it out in front of them to say, here's what the role looks like. This is what you're going to have to do to succeed at it. Good luck, go and do it. But we're not, we're, we're not even setting up the um, people for success to go into and move into these next roles. So it's a basic thing of communication, right? It's like any relationship. Relationships mm. fail without communication, you know, setting clear expectations, making, and not just saying it once in that sense, reinforcing it. You know, if you're going to set KPIs, it's all well and good to set them, but reviewing them regularly. Um, and that that's hard when you're a small company as well. You know, we're all time poor in that sense, you know. Um, so that's maybe James, you know, that's where oh. you, what are you, some of your tricks and is there ways that we can. That. Yeah? We, ha we have time. It's what we choose to spend it on. <laughs> like, especially with our employees, right? Like it's. Uh, it's much easier to go solve X, Y, Z problem that's on fire than it is to sit, prioritize and sit down with our employees to talk like that. To me, that's an excuse. We're not, if, if we're too busy to talk and communicate and work with our employees, we're too busy to have employees. Like we just should go to our perfect team of one. Um, like it, it sounds very brutal, but like our people are the most important part of our business and we've got to actually treat them and show them, show them that. And especially with the flexibility of work from home and in COVID, um, the generational gap um, between owners and the employees really showed. 
um, the amount of people I've spoken to that as soon as everyone started going remote, there was no team meetings, there was no tech huddles, there was no one-on-ones. If I was a tech on the front line doing super stressful, hard job day to day, would I want to stay there doing that work? No, I'd like I'd go look for a higher pay. I'd go look for a place that um, engages with that culture. And work from home is not going to go away. So we need to set up the meeting rhythms, whether it's in person or whether it's on via Zoom or Teams, and actually talk to our people. We start with planning your week out of what meetings do you have to do with your people and then fill the gaps with the other stuff. And that will show you what to delegate. Like that's the simplest place to start. Um, because without that discipline, we don't default to it. And that's what causes the disconnect with communication and relationships and work from home. You just drift faster and faster and faster. It's a really interesting point. We, um, during and COVID's a great, great example of this. We, we actually went, that other direction and, and made sure that we had pre-booked in regular catch-ups and, you know, where teams were, you know, say 20 large, we'd break them into smaller groups to try and, and the thing we noticed and, and, you know, part of, I guess, the, the fun part of our culture is, is that banter and, and that, that family feel. So smaller groups meant that we could continue to have that banter. So it wasn't every meeting was a serious meeting. This is what's going on. This is, you know, what's changing. There was obviously the the highlights of those kind of things, but it was more about just that, that employee engagement, making sure that they felt the same as they would if they were in the office with obviously more of a virtual touch to it than, than that face-to-face. COVID was, you needed to, literally when we went home, you had to up it. We already had a lot of that in place. We were already doing it. But to be honest, I think you needed to increase it. Like we did mm. the social things. We had social drinks. We did all of those types of things. Bless you, Matt. Well, all of those things happened and needed to happen. You you needed to double down on that. And don't be wrong, it, it was tiring as well. But it, it was a difference between keeping, keeping your team and doing well versus a bunch of people that are now probably at the end of it who already moved or starting to move and things like that. So it was, I think to me, it was a critical pace. It's funny, you know, like, I mean, back in the, back in the day, I mean, we, so we all work remotely. Hosted Network is entirely remote now. So most, most people haven't been able to do that, but we've done it for a long time, close to for 15 years, we've had staff that are remote and whatnot. So we're a bit more, um, you know, used to it. But one of the things that I used to complain about as, as you know, um, you know, the boss in, in the office is the water cooler. It used to drive me insane. I tell you what, COVID really taught me how important that was. <laughs> Letting people have that little break of that sort of mental break of bits and pieces um, and how to, how to, you know, actually do that virtually is hard. Um, you know, so then this, now we've got this kind of hybrid workforce. Some people are in person, some people aren't. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tough world. And in the last two years, I think that I'd hope that, um, it has taught a lot of us lessons that would have taken us a lot longer to learn. Whereas with COVID, we were forced to start learning them virtually overnight. So, um, guys, I guess we're, we're nearly, we're nearly at time. We're nearly an hour, but, um, I just want to sort of, uh, cover off the last little bits and pieces, um, a couple of, uh, I guess, very quick ones. In terms of systems from a HR, you know, managing a team or whatnot, are there any things that um, that you guys or systems or companies that you might use that the the, the you know, guys on the line can actually, um, you know, look at to do some extra, you know, offline reading? 
that you've found useful? I'll give you an example. We use the New South Wales Business Chamber, right? They're great. Whenever we have any issues with, you know, we're not sure, they make sure we cross our T's, cross our I's, dot our I's. Uh, and, you know, they provide insurance as well for fair work issues and things like that to make sure that we go through that. Um, and that's something that I've found really valuable to make sure that we are, you know, and, and the HR guidance piece of that. So we're, we're members of um, AI Group, which provides, I guess, that, that employment kind of like the business chamber, but we've also got um, an external HR consultant that uh, we lean on relatively heavily. So she's, you know, at least once a week, we have a conversation with her about various different things and, you know, planning as well as, you know, things that need to be actioned, you know. Does that HR consultant work just with you or does it work with your employees as well? Uh, we, well, both, yeah. So we've, we've had her in recently to work with a couple of employees um, that, you know, we're, we're struggling in, in different areas. Um, and so she'll work with them. So it's not, not just us that's, um, I guess, engaged with her she's you know does comes in and uh you know when we're trying to do group things she might come in and, and run those um get feedback sometimes you know get feedback without you know managers and that sitting in there um you know so we can go through that continuous improvement to uh you know allow us to grow okay james from a, you know a process operational side of things do you see many systems or tools that are out there uh, there's a lot, and to be honest, I'm reluctant to say go get tools because it's a people thing. Like tools should be once you understand how to manage the people, have the process, and then and what then about blogs? Then are there any good reading resources that there's, you might know of? There's lots of people on LinkedIn that just there's content um, and there's heaps of content around there. There's Next-Gen HR, there's Alchemy 2.0, there's Axia HR, and they all work in the MSP space and have really good content. And they, backing up again what I said before and what, like what Matt just said, the HR consultancy is really important. Um, it's that ongoing relationship. It's being involved, understanding the business. It's, it's basically managed services for people management is what we need to look at. There's services like EmployShore and HR Assured that are out there that are cheap and reasonable, but they're very generic. They're not based on getting to know your company. They'll just tick off a lot of items, which can be good for people. That can be a good first step to make sure we're HR, like compliant with fair work and all that sort of thing. But if you're really engaged with this and want to learn, you'll quickly outgrow those types of services and get more mature. And that's where these, these sort of HR consultants are a lot more important. Okay. Anything from you, Ryan, to finish us off? No, look, just on the back of what, uh, what James said there, I, you, it's important to have someone helping you with those areas. There's no doubt about it. But I don't think you can... Uh, abdicate it. You can delegate and, and whatnot, uh, delegate and verify, uh, but don't abdicate the responsibility. At the end of the day, these people and these uh, these people are your team. You should be getting close to them. You should be understanding if there's problems. If you're not a people person, look, it's not going to be the most easiest thing, but you're going to have to get through it because that's it's the best way of going to be of managing and actually maintaining your staff and actually having a good culture is if you're right there with it. Um, just, yeah, 
delegating that out to a third party company or whatnot, it'll work for a period of time, but the, you'll find that uh, as people go on for longer and longer, they just won't be as connected to the business. And as to that final question, no, look, off the top of my head, look, the guys have uh, and, uh, mentioned some good resources, uh, peer groups, community groups, all of those things, uh, locals, chambers, all of those things, like other soft skills, like any of those things will definitely help and improve. There's, uh, there wouldn't be one particular place. And again, as James said, you don't need to add another system. This is, you're dealing with humans here, you're dealing with carbon-based life forms, look after them. And uh, what's his name? I think that's your, your easiest way of doing it. Don't just try and, yeah, uh, don't try and uh, just ignore it. Fantastic. Well, guys, thank you so much for today. Um, it's been absolutely great going through this and hopefully everyone on the call took a few uh, you know, tidbits away, a few light bulb moments. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in. Looking forward to having you again on our next episode. If you'd like to know more about Hosted Network, who we are and what we do, check out our website at hostednetwork.com.au.